on today's episode of Neyland's Basement. We'll look back at week 11, predict some coach of the year candidates, and preview week 12. Welcome, everybody, into the Week 12 edition of Neyland's Basement. I am Tucker Harlan alongside Devin Hoke and Dominic Drongard. Guys, how are we doing today? Pretty darn good. That one against Mizzou felt really nice. Got to see some of that big throw Joe action. He looked killer in that game. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what he can do next year. Yeah, I mean, at first, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was nervous about that game for a good bit in it. But, uh, yeah, fortunately, Tennessee in the fourth quarter, who really pulled away in that one? Yeah, let's just go ahead and jump into that. I mean, the best way to sum up this game is that Tennessee was really sleepwalking through the first half, and then they realized that they were the number five team in the country and that they should be blowing this Mizzou team out of the water. So that's what they did. Yeah, just really, really good performance there at the end. And at the start, it just felt like the team was... You're right to say they were sleepwalking because there were some easy throws that Hooker could have made and just seemed like the team wasn't really on the same page quite yet. One thing that I did notice, too, though, that might be cause for concern is Hooker seems really weak on awareness when uh, they rush guys from the blind side. He seems like he cannot pick up on those guys at all, and I think that's what teams are really, really going to start attacking. I think Georgia exposed that, and Mizzou tried to capitalize on that. But we did turn around, and we looked really great in the second half. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that, Dom, because, yeah, you're absolutely right. After after Georgia exposed Tennessee's offensive line's ability to pick up on a heavy blitz, that's immediately what we saw Missouri do right off, right off the start of the game. They just blitzed heavy, and it was working really well. And I was like, oh, my goodness, they found a weakness here. But fortunately, uh, Missouri just seemed to go away from their game plan that was working, and, and Tennessee just... Got, got away with the win here. Uh, it looks very dominant. We know it was close for a long time until basically late in the third. Uh, so it makes me nervous for some other teams, not South Carolina or Vanderbilt. But beyond that, a team that's really well coached uh, that's going to look back at this and say, okay, this is something that works against Tennessee's high-powered offense. How can we keep it going the whole game long? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think – Tennessee, of course, figured out what to do up front as the game went on, and it was kind of the same thing with the defense as well, which was also a little bit concerning Mm -hmm. in the first half. Uh, Brady Cook, the Missouri quarterback, ran for 105 yards, led the team in rushing. Uh, Scary reminder of what Matt Corral did here in Neyland last year. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that I've always noticed with this defense is we can really struggle to make tackles. We're not the best at tackling in the open field. And again, with with mobile quarterbacks, we kind of lack speed on defense. Like it seems like we can never quite catch up when someone gets around the edge and we end up, whereas I feel like a lot of teams would tackle guys five yards ahead of where we tackle them. We end up tackling them a bit further down the field. It just seems like our guys don't have that speed once they get around. Yeah, it's really unfortunate because a lot of our guys, I feel like definitely have the strength and definitely have the power. Mm-hmm. Like once they're there, and they make the tackle, you know, the guy's going down. But, again, like, 
the quickness to get there, I mean, all all it takes is just a little move and our and guys like uh, Trayvon Flowers are just on the ground. You know, I mean, he's a great tackler when it's right there, but again, some of these guys really do just lack the speed. And and Brady Cook is a really fast quarterback too, and he was able to just run all over. I'm I'm surprised they didn't keep it going. Maybe the coach was worried about him getting injured. I mean, I, I don't know, but it was working well. Yeah, he was efficient there and I mean, through the air, he didn't have a bad day either. 217 yards, two touchdowns, a couple of deep bombs from him as well, which was pretty surprising. So, he did all right there. Uh for Tennessee, Hendon Hooker, 355 yards, three touchdowns through the air, also ran for a touchdown. Speaking of rush touchdowns, everybody that ran the ball except for Joe Milton ran for a touchdown on this game for Tennessee, which is pretty incredible. Uh, and then, of course, Jalen Hyatt, Brew McCoy both go over 100 yards. We haven't seen Brew have quite as dominant performances lately, so that was definitely good to see. And then Joe Milton, very, very efficient. Three of three, 105 yards and a touchdown. That's more yards and more touchdowns than some highly overrated quarterback <laughs> through this weekend that we will get to here in a bit. Yeah, oh, and, absolutely. And and speaking of yards, I mean, we, we can't move on without saying that Tennessee broke a school record oh, for, yeah, for yards in a game. I mean, that, that's crazy. I mean, based on how the game started, I would not have expected that, but that's just how way out of hand it got for Missouri uh, and their coach that they just extended for another two years. Yeah. yeah, and then Dylan Sampson, too. We cannot go without mentioning him, too. I'm really looking forward to him. He ran, like, maybe nine times and got over 100 yards. Yeah. Ridiculous performance by him. Whenever he broke through, he was just gone. And then, again, I want to give a lot of love to Joe Milton because at the start – of his career at Tennessee people were not fans at all everybody kind of hated him but now he's really won over the fans and this is a guy who has all the measurables and so I I really do think he could be one of the best quarterbacks we've ever really seen at Tennessee if he's able to take care of his football IQ issues because I think that was the only area he was really lacking in and especially with accuracy but once he takes care of that this guy has so he has such a high ceiling. He really does. And, you know, going back to what you were saying with Dylan Sampson, I don't feel like Jabari Small and Jalen Wright really have that same kind of breakaway speed that we yeah. see with him. So I think that's going to be something very exciting to watch next year as well because, of course, he will be back. And, you know, there's going to be some losses to this offense. I mean, up front there will be a couple, probably a few receiver, receivers as well, obviously, Hendon. But it looks like, you know, Tennessee will be in pretty good control of the future. So, with that being said, let's move on to some other SEC matchups. Number nine, Alabama survived at number 11, Ole Miss, 30-24. to Ole Miss led for much of the first half in this game. Quinshawn Judkins really got going on the ground, 135 yards, two touchdowns for him. Not an overly impressive day for Bryce Young, 209 yards, three touchdowns. That's a solid day for him, but, you know, as a Heisman quarterback, he's done better things in the past. And, you know, this game – really didn't mean anything for these either of these teams other than Ole Miss getting eliminated from the playoff race because LSU just locked up the West. Yeah, and I was, of course, really impressed with Judkins. Judkins has been amazing all season, and to be able to run like that against a Bama defense is always really impressive. And But Bryce Young is that guy who's able to always, typically at least, do just enough to win, even though we haven't seen that lately. I feel like that falls a little bit more on his team than it does him. I think he's been really phenomenal this season, but this was definitely one of his weaker performances. And with this game, I think you have to mention the kind of dirtiness, I guess, that Bama yeah, played Yeah, there, there were a lot of things that were allowed to slide in that game that should not have been. 
Yeah, just face masks all over. Uh, that clip of the one guy, I, I don't know his name, but he tackles Jackson Dart, and he like yep. shoves his head into the dirt. It and, was insane. And you know what's funny about that? Tennessee did that against Alabama a couple of years ago, something weaker than that. Uh, I will say Daryl Taylor on Mac Jones, I guess that was 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dallas Turner, of course, did it to Jackson Dart at Ole Miss this year. And that, that just kind of goes to show you, I mean, you know, that – that's there's a little maybe a maybe a hint of bias in there <laughs> from the officials. I mean, I it's just what it feels like every year with them. I mean, Birmingham's in their backyard. Yep. Yeah, and and I was going to say about this matchup. I mean, I feel like this game did matter a lot to Ole Miss. Uh, I mean, anytime you host a top ten Alabama team and they really beat you down most years, it, it's going to matter a lot. So they're probably absolutely devastated, even if it had. Nothing to do with the championships or They forgot or their popcorn. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they did. Again, for the second straight year, they forgot the popcorn. Yeah, I mean, Lane Kiffin... Is out the door. He's he, gone. Perhaps. We will see. There's a lot of rumors going on about Lane Kiffin to Auburn, potentially, oh, but... I don't know. <laughs> I we'll, we'll see about it. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff up in the air, but, yep, that, that matchup was obviously something he was not impressed by. I mean, they... He he was going off on the media at the end of the game because they wanted to hype him up, saying you know y'all hung, y'all hung in there with Alabama, but he was he wasn't buying any of it. So mm-hmm. Alabama, of course, gets that one done, helps LSU win the West. Speaking of LSU, they won a very ugly game at Arkansas, thirteen to ten. There was snow on the ground in Fayetteville the morning before, so not something LSU is particularly used to. Uh, there was no K.J. Jefferson here for Arkansas, so that, of course, hampered things a little bit for them. The big player on offense for LSU, Josh Williams, had 122 yards and a touchdown. Jaden Daniels, though, did not look like himself. Threw a pick, lost a fumble in this game. They were really sleepwalking in, up in Fayetteville. Yeah, bad Bama hangover, <clears throat> as you can usually see with those huge Bama wins. But I did really want to shout out the Arkansas grounds crew for seeing snow on the ground and in the morning and thinking to themselves, you know what would make this a whole lot better if we dumped water on the entire field? So the entire field froze over before the game, and they had to take snow shovels and scrape it off the field. Somehow that surface was, quote-unquote, ready to play on. I, I don't know if that's the truth, but uh, ugly one for LSU. I, I was in Neyland Stadium at the time, so I was just watching the scoreboard getting really surprised every time that I saw LSU had not ran it up on Arkansas. Yeah. Well, what I think is crazy about this game is heading into this matchup, LSU was only, according to Vegas, was only a three-point favorite. And then, well, they only win by three points. Somehow these guys in Las Vegas... They're great at their jobs. They just know things, man. They they really... Well, they don't get it right all the time, but, man, a lot of the time they get it dead on. Uh, so that was pretty crazy to see. Uh, again, yeah, Arkansas, you know, I mean, they're always going to play LSU pretty tough. They're a really great rivalry. The Golden Boot is is usually a very fun matchup, uh, and those two teams play each other pretty tough, and, and Arkansas was really fighting to kind of save their season. They had these big expectations. They started the year so good, and now they got to still get another win to go bowling, which is is crazy. They thought uh, they thought for sure by now they would have six or seven wins. So they were really fighting hard. Don't get the win. If they had Jefferson in, you know, who knows? But, you know, LSU, 
Yeah, man, they they did just enough. And honestly, this might help them out a bit going down the road. They probably felt like they were right back in the national championship hype after beating Alabama. Then they get humbled a little bit, but still come away with the win. Sometimes that does really good things for, for teams. Yeah, so as ugly as it was for LSU, they end up getting it done, uh, especially in thanks to the performance of Harold Perkins on the defensive end. Uh, but they get it done. They lock up the West. They do what they need to do. Now they just need to find a way to beat Georgia and ruin somebody's season uh, down the road here. So one last SEC matchup. And guys, I really didn't think I'd be talking about this matchup today, but we're going to. Vandy, <laughs> one at number 24, Kentucky, 24 to 21. Anchor down. Yep, I, I guess we could say that. I mean, <laughs> Chris Rodriguez for Kentucky really was the main source of offense. 162 yards, two touchdowns for him. Ugly day for Will Levis once again. 109 yards and an interception. Obviously, what he did here at Neyland was not great, but it was at least on the road. This was at home against a team that has not won a conference game in three years. So, pretty upsetting performance for him. And for Vanderbilt, I mean, it was the run game. I mean, you had 200-yard rushers. The quarterback, Mike Wright and Ray Davis, both ran for over 100 yards. Both had a touchdown each. So, very, very embarrassing loss at home for Kentucky. Yeah, this is completely inexcusable and unacceptable for Kentucky. I don't know what has happened with that program. I thought Stoops had him in a great direction. Seemingly just everything they've worked for has gone out the window in this season. So I don't really know, if you're a Kentucky fan, I don't really know what you want right now because the best you're ever going to get is Stoops. Kentucky is not a destination, but as unfortunate as that might be for Kentucky fans. Kentucky's not a school people really want to go to to coach at. So I, you're just kind of stuck with Stoops, and that's it's unfortunate for those guys because he's had some real talent come through there that just hasn't really manifested into anything significant. Yeah, well, Clark Lee's plan is starting to come together, guys. I mean, you know, he wins this game this year. That means next year they'll win a couple more SEC games, and then five years, boom, Vanderbilt is the national champions, according to Clark Lee. I mean, they're they're getting there. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, though, yeah, I mean, uh, this is a bad loss for Kentucky for sure. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Dom. I mean, Mark Stoops, uh, I mean, he has he is a really great coach. I mean, yeah, he, no especially on defense. Uh, and, and he's had some really great teams. Like, the team last year was awesome. But it seems like, you know, nine wins is kind of the cap. They can't get above yeah. nine. I mean, that's great, a great season, but especially that's, in the SEC. It's tough to do when yeah. you got Georgia and Tennessee who's beaten you. And Florida so when they times. come back. And yeah, so. when Florida gets back, they will definitely uh, overtake Kentucky just with the talent that they have. But I have one question for you guys regarding this game, and this is completely hypothetical, but I remember watching Oregon last year, and – the demeanor of the team toward the end of the season changed because Mario Cristobal was, you know, speculated mm -hmm. to be on the way out to Miami. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but it could be. That could make a lot of sense because, I mean, it would really explain what's going on out there on the field because those players don't really seem like they want to play, especially because I... I was watching the scoreboard again with this one at Neyland Stadium, and it's. I kept seeing Kentucky score, and I'd be like, it was in like the fourth quarter too, and I'd be like, oh, the game's over now. And then all of a sudden, Vandy would somehow find a way to get back in it. And a team like Vandy shouldn't be able to claw their way back into games like this and win them last minute, especially with just the talent gap. It's There's got to be something more going on there. 
Yeah. It, now, that's that is an interesting point. I didn't even consider that. But but the thing with Cristobal though is. I mean, all the insiders in the media also are constantly saying, yeah, he's going to leave, he's going to leave. And I haven't seen anything like that for Stoops. So uh, at the same time, I feel like if Stoops was really going to leave, we, we probably, then again, I mean, then there was also instances like Brian Kelly to LSU too. I mean, that was completely unexpected. So, I mean, it, it totally could be a reality. But yeah, something's clearly gone wrong. I, I just like to think that Tennessee broke this team, that they, they, they got beat so badly when they came here to Neyland Stadium that and they were supposed to be way more competitive than that and I think just them getting beaten down that badly I think it's just killed their morale for the whole season yeah so speaking of black and gold teams winning it on the road we'll we'll transition to the Big Ten now Purdue one at number 21 Illinois 31 to 24 uh the Boilermakers are now in the share of a four-way tie for first in the (laughs) Big Ten West between I believe it's it's Purdue, Illinois, I, I want to say... Iowa and Minnesota. I, yeah, Iowa and Minnesota. That's the four. It's crazy. Uh, you know, Iowa and the comeback. It's it's wild what's happening there. I mean, the, the big performances from this game, Aiden O'Connell threw three touchdowns in this game for Purdue. Two of them were to his tight end, Payne Durham, who is looking like he may be one of the better tight ends in this upcoming draft class. But it's really just wild what's happening right now in the Big Ten West. Yeah, the landscape has shaken up severely. I think I think we all thought that Illinois was going to kind of walk away with it, but all of a sudden that's turned around, and I feel like anytime Purdue is playing a team that has a number next to it, you're playing a different Purdue team. It's not the same one. Uh, Purdue just seems to show up to these kind of games, and O'Connell and Durham are great connections, so when they're able to go off, it's a, it's a hard game to win for the other team, and it's hard to stop them. So I, I don't know how this Big Ten West is going to shape shape up at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, Payne Durham is no doubt a top five tight end in this upcoming draft. I was fortunate enough to see him play live in the Music City Bowl last oh, year. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I did too. Yeah, and, and, and he was bouncing off. Ten, speaking of Tennessee not being able to tackle, I mean, that game was was horrendous at tackling for either side but in any case but Payne Durham was bouncing off of guys I think he had that play where yeah, there was it was a bunch him. of guys around him and he somehow just gets away and goes down the sideline I'm like oh, okay that's ridiculous but jumped over him I think yeah that yeah I mean he but he really is an incredible incredible tight end and yeah when he's when he's on he is on and clearly Illinois and nobody that could even stop him so I, I don't know. This West is so crazy. I mean, now Iowa's gotten hot at the right time. Uh, it's really just going to come down to the tiebreakers, like who beat who, and we'll have to go back through the schedules and find out who that who that even is. Yeah, it's it's going to be very messy for sure for whoever whoever has to go through the Big Ten West and make that determination of who the true champion is because I honestly don't know. It's just so weird. Yeah, uh, and- Real quick, though, I think I think what I want to say here, though, is I think I want Purdue to get out of the Big Ten West and play in the championship because then they're playing a team with a number yeah. next to them. Yeah. And, Devin, your point about Purdue being the most dangerous team early on in the year, that could, that could come true. Yeah, I, I, feel still a chance. Like, I still feel like they have the best chance to upset either Ohio State or, or Michigan. Uh, I don't really see from Iowa because their offense is – 
you know, well, we, we know. But uh, and, and it's gotten better, but it's still very lackluster. And Minnesota with P.J. Fleck, I mean, I, I, or sorry, with, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's the coach, but with Tanner Morgan at quarterback, he's just he's just so touch and go. I'm not even sure if he starts most of their games anymore. And, and then, yeah, so, I mean, I just feel like Purdue still with the offense. We know that their offense has the capabilities to score, and their defense has the capabilities as well. I still feel like they are the best West team that could knock off either Ohio State or Michigan. All right, so let's move over to the ACC. We'll start with an upset here. Boston College won at number 16, NC State, 21-20. to MJ Morris, not a good day for him after what was a solid week against Wake Forest. He threw for a pick, lost three fumbles in this one. Emmett Moorhead of Boston College, 330 yards, three touchdowns, did throw two interceptions, which is not great. Uh, Zay Flowers, seven catches, 130 yards, two touchdowns for the Eagles. This is not a very good Boston College team that won this game. So bad, in fact, that they ran for negative one yard. Wow. I don't, I don't know how a team wins a game and rushes for less than a yard in a game. I, I guess, it's wild. <laughs> I guess it's the three fumbles that helped him out because you can't win a game if you do that either. Mm-hmm. But it just it seems like this season has been so unlucky for NC State. It, they just can't seem to catch a break because I know there were at least a couple people at the start of the season saying this team had playoff hopes and they're they're looking far from that now just real real unlucky for them with the injury to Devin Leary and they just they haven't seemed to be able to really pull it all together yeah it, it's tough especially for MJ Morris I mean he, he did play well against Virginia Tech and then he played well even better against Wake Forest where he was great but we know how Wake Forest defense has been all season. It's been really bad. I mean, DJ Uyungle put up like one of his best career performances against Wake Forest. I mean, most quarterbacks are. So, you know, you got to take that into consideration for context as well. But I still felt like MJ was getting something going. And then, wow, losing to Boston College here was was tough. Even without Phil Jerkovic, who's, who's dealt with injuries and he could be a legit pro prospect without his injuries, and, and Boston College still wins. Regardless, Zay Flowers, what an incredible receiver that guy is. He's been awesome both of these last two seasons. Yeah, for sure. So, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, speaking of Wake Forest, number 15 North Carolina survived at Wake Forest 36-34. to uh, We were talking about those defensive woes. Uh, the Heels would end up hitting a game-winning field goal with just over two minutes to win this one. Drake May, though, showed out again, 448 yards, three touchdowns through the air, uh, led the team in rushing with 71 yards and a touchdown, and his favorite target, Josh Downs, 11 catches, 154 yards and three touchdowns. Sam Hartman, not a bad day for him, just one interception this time around as opposed to three. Yeah, I feel like this one really, and we talked about it last week, we said this game would really be a true QB battle, and I... I, I don't know if I said it for sure, but I think I said that whichever team throws interceptions more is going to be the one that loses. And, you know, Hartman gets his one pick. Drake May throws none. North Carolina wins by two. Yeah, I, I, what I love watching in this game is, well, what I love watching with Wake Forest offense when Hartman's in control is the weird, like, 
uh, fake handoff, but still like almost running forward and then throwing it is 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 so crazy to watch. I think it throws defenses off. Uh, I think it's a really smart scheme actually if the guy can operate it well. Yeah, that's that's the key is executing it is properly. Executing it properly because sometimes you get a little too. Sometimes he gets a little too fancy and it's an interception. But it it's really worked for Wake Forest. That I've never seen any other quarterback or any other team do it like he does it you'll, you'll just have to watch the team watch the clips to see what i'm saying where it's just like such a slow fake handoff and then he's like still running almost like he's gonna run and then passes it but yeah that's fun to watch i mean this i knew this was gonna be a really fun game i mean the last couple of games between north carolina and wake forest were both score fests as well it's been like what 50 something to, yeah, you know that's I mean, right both teams in the 50s the two previous matchups and now this uh, epic game. I mean, this is starting to become one of my favorite rivalries in all of college football right here. Yeah, so I mean, after this win, I don't see a way North Carolina doesn't win the Coastal now. You've mm-hmm. just got to go through Georgia Tech and NC State now. I mean, we've documented the the unluckiness of NC State and, you know, with Georgia Tech having fired Jeff Collins earlier this year. Uh, well, they they're don't, looking a bit better now. They're yeah. looking a little bit better, but they're not they're not significantly better. They're yeah. not good enough to go out and ruin somebody's season, so no. I think North Carolina's path here is pretty clear. All right, Big 12 now. Number four, TCU won a very ugly game at number 18, Texas, 17-10, to 10, just like we all expected. Uh, Kendra Miller ran for 138 yards and a touchdown for TCU. That was really the only notable offensive performance in this game. Uh, Bijan Robinson, significant running back for Texas, held to just 29 yards on the ground. Uh I don't think it did, but did this affect TCU's playoff hopes any? No. Um, this was a game that a lot of people honestly thought Texas was, would win. And for me, I'm done with Texas football just as a whole. Not not even the University of they, Texas. They just, make themselves look good at the beginning of the season, and then they just ruin it for themselves. And yeah. then they prove that they are not, in fact, back. And it's it's not even just the University of Texas. It's it's the whole state. I, I can't I can't pick Texas football. I, I tried to hype up the Aggies. I thought they were going to turn it around. No. I thought Texas was back. No. I thought TCU was going to lose. No. I, I, I can't get it right with Texas football. I, just please, for the love of God, do not listen to my opinions when it comes to Texas football. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually going to say... Yes, this does actually improve TCU's playoff uh, playoff hopes and playoff chances because despite being the number four team, they had so many doubters. Everybody said, well, you know, they had to come back in all these games. Well, their defense is terrible, you know, but yet here they are holding Texas to just 10 points on the road and the arguably the best running back in the whole country to just 29 yards. That looks like a complete playoff team. They've now had games where they've had put up tons of points, and they've had games where they've won defensive battles. To me, this actually strengthens TCU's uh, case to be a college football playoff team. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it either strengthened or weakened it. I just think they just stayed consistent. But I think, you know, they did prove that they can win ugly, uh, and they can really play to their competition level, which I think is a little bit concerning maybe for TCU is the fact that they are doing that so often as opposed to blowing teams out of the water. But mm-hmm. either yeah. way. But at the same time, the Big 12, and we've said throughout the sun, the Big 12 is very well balanced. I mean, it's not like, you know, there's a there's any, I mean, even Kansas is good this year. So it, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, so it's not like there's a whole lot of bad teams that TCU plays against. Yeah, for real. So 
That being said, let's move to the Pac-12 now. We've got a couple of pretty significant upsets here. Number 25, Washington, going to number 6, Oregon, winning it 37-34. to 34. Uh, Two different Oregon running backs, Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington, had over 100 yards on the ground. Troy Franklin of Oregon, five catches, 139 yards, and a touchdown. But the key here, though, was that Bo Nix was not 100% late in this game. I think that had some effect on what, you know, could have been a win for this team. And... It was a it was a weird ending. Let's just put it that way. Let's let's talk about the last three drives here. Uh, Oregon had the ball deep on their own side of the field on fourth and one, and this was one of the drives where Nix was not in the game, and the quarterback and the running back got tangled up in the backfield, and they don't get the fourth and one. So the Huskies can go ahead and kick that game winning field goal, and Oregon drives down, tries to set up the game tire to take it to overtime. But they have what would have been a first down and what would have set up the game-winning field goal taken away by an illegal touching penalty, which is not one you see called very often. Uh, what do you guys think about the game ending like this as opposed to you know maybe letting it play out a little bit more? It was a disappointing ending, to say the least, because there was a lot of anticipation just building up throughout this game, and then it just kind of fell flat on its face, and it no longer felt... It no longer felt like one of those intense games that you just are drawn to. It it became one that was more akin to the games where it just feels like outside factors are affecting it way too much. But Washington gets it done. They do their job. Uh, I really thought Oregon would win this one pretty comfortably. Bo Nix just unfortunately banged up because he's been a real factor on this Oregon team. And I really... I really do think he would have been able to make a big difference late if he was able to be 100%, but that's not how college football works, and you can't always have your number one guy all the time. And so Oregon is out of playoff contention, and this is really important for Tennessee because a lot of a lot of people in the media were kind of wanting to push this narrative that a one-loss Oregon team belonged in the conversation with Tennessee, but no more. We do not have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I really think we don't have to worry about the Pac-12 in general, as we're going to get to that further in just a second. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, what an incredible game, those punch, counterpunch. Definitely one of my favorite games of the weekend, of course, because I like the Huskies a little bit. So, of course, I absolutely love that they got this huge win here. Uh, I mean, this is a very, very good rivalry here, so it gets very intense. And yet Bo Nix leaving at a crucial time. I mean, I just feel... Sorry for Bo Nix. I mean, he's really coming on strong, playing great, has a chance to get his team into the championship, maybe has a chance to win the Heisman Trophy, and then just one play, he just gets banged up, and he's on the sideline trying to tell uh, Dan Lanning to put him back in. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw that. He's like runs yeah. up to him. He's like, hey, come on, come on. And Lanning's like, no. And then and then they lose the game uh, there when, as the, with the backup in. So... Uh, yeah, so very unfortunate for them. I mean, for Knicks, that was probably painful to watch his team lose with him on the sideline as he's trying to get back into the game. But at the end of the day, I think this pretty much does it for the Pac-12, and it'll be interesting to see which see which one of these teams they'll make it to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I mean, n- the only thing Bo Nix did wrong in this game was get injured, which is mm-hmm. a shame. It's, yeah. It really is a shame. And then, you know, for me, the illegal touching penalty, it was. it's like – it's like, you know, calling a touch foul at the end of a basketball game that ends it. Like, you should not let that one – you should not let some minor penalty in the game. And, you know, maybe they got it right. But the thing is, 
it was it was barely mm. the, the the receiver was barely out of bounds if he was out of bounds. So I don't know. I just feel like for as decisive of a matchup as this is in the Pac-12, I would have liked to see that game end just a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that matchup. There was another pretty significant upset. Arizona won at number twelve. UCLA thirty-five or thirty-four to twenty-eight. Excuse me. So. The Bruins, they led just once in this game. I think they took the lead maybe third or fourth quarter, but outside of that, they couldn't they couldn't keep it up. Uh, Zach Charbonnet was the force on offense for UCLA, 181 yards, three touchdowns on the ground, also caught nine passes in this game as well. But really the story here is that UCLA just was not able to contain Arizona at all defensively. Yeah, and kind of funny here. Um, the, one of Arizona's slogans is "Bear Down," even though they're the Wildcats. And so, in this matchup, the Bears were down, uh, and this was unfortunate for UCLA because I I really thought this team was capable of making a deeper run into the Pac-12, and just losing to Arizona is a bit rough. Arizona is a program that, luckily for them, is on the rise once more, but they were abysmal mm-hmm. for a long time. And this is not a team you should be losing to at home if you can even call UCLA's home home because, I mean, no one really shows up. Yeah, they, they announced a sellout today for the Crosstown Cup, that being 70,000 of their 90,000 seats. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, too, because a sellout... Uh, here's the thing with L.A. A sellout in L.A. means a neutral crowd because people do not care about their teams in L.A. Besides the Dodgers and, and the Lakers... They do not care about their teams in L.A. This will be like a neutral site game. I I swear to you, the people in the crowd will just be wearing street clothes. No one's going to be in team colors. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really unfortunate. Uh, it, it really embarrassing. Really that that that's what the fans support that they get there, especially when they've got such great teams. Uh, but yeah, I mean Arizona, they've been they've been coming on pretty strong. They almost upset USC. They had an incredible battle with the Trojans that they ended up losing because Caleb Williams was just he was just way too good that game. So, but they managed to get an upset over UCLA. Uh, that pretty much just does it for the Pac-12. I mean, Oregon losing is, to Washington is one thing. But UCLA losing, I mean, now there's no way that USC can have the strength of schedule for the Trojans to even make a run either because they would have needed a a higher-ranked UCLA, a higher-ranked Oregon to face off in the championship game. Now they're not going to get that, so USC is just going to end up getting screwed by this as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, to, we'll, we'll credit Arizona a little bit here. They've had a pretty tremendous turnaround this oh, year. Oh, absolutely. And the thing is, they're – in a pretty good position now to go bowling. They're four and six right now, but the last two games on their schedule are Washington State and Arizona State at home. Arizona State, of course, fired Herm Edwards, so they're not really playing for anything right now. They're sitting at three and seven. Arizona State yeah. loves that territorial cup, though. Yeah. yeah, and Washington State is a mid-tier Pac-12 team coming into Arizona, so it's it's looking like a great turnaround here for Jed Fish. Absolutely. Yeah, especially when you look at where they were last year. I mean, they were almost like Colorado is this year. Yeah, pretty much. I'd argue worse. Yeah, that they Arizona were really team bad. was yeah. abysmal. I like Oklahoma was taking walk on tryouts in the middle of the year. They Arizona was taking walk on tryouts from like day one until the very end of the season. They <laughs> they were just hoping for warm bodies on the field. Absolutely. So let's look at another upset. Number 22, UCF, one at number 17, Tulane 38-31. to 31. That's two 
pretty significant upsets in a row by UCF and the American. They get Cincinnati one week and Tulane the next. Uh, Knights never trailed in this game. John Rice Plumley, who we remember from Ole Miss, ran for 176 yards and two touchdowns. Also threw for a touchdown as well here. The Green Wave lost a pair of fumbles, and this is this is really sad because we were all rooting for Tulane to do well this year. Mm-hmm. Now it looks like UCF is back as a potential power in the American Conference. Yeah, I mean, we've just all been really impressed with Malzahn's coaching ability at UCF. He's really turned this program back into a good team once more like they were under our beautiful head coach, Josh Heupel. But this UCF team looks really solid with the group of transfers that they've put together. It's it's shown that Malzahn has that ability to adapt to this new era of college football where the transfer portal is is really everything. It's it's one of the most important parts of the game right now. But I am very sad for Tulane. Uh, the poor the poor old SEC team just they couldn't they couldn't couldn't quite get it done. And I I am excited though because. Uh, I'm blanking on the head coach's name. Willie Fritz. Willie Fritz. Willie Fritz has made this program look really solid, and so I'm excited to see if he stays, what he's able to do, and maybe Tulane can be one of those teams that people actually talk about again. Yeah, and and the American Conference is is definitely one of my favorite conferences. They just have so many fun games to watch, and this definitely is another one. And as we know, I mean, the winner of the American Conference – they're very likely going to end up in a huge bowl game against uh, against a very solid uh, uh, either SEC or, or Big Ten team. Uh, it's just that's just what's been happening lately with the American and and the group of five in general seems to be a bit down this year. But looks like UCF could once again end up in a, a classic huge bowl game. So this this is absolutely huge for the Knights. And good for uh, former SEC player John Reese Plumley. speaking of the SEC. He's, he's really found a great role yeah, with the Knights. They, they've got a few of those guys as well. I mean, it's not just him. I know Kobe Hudson from Auburn mm-hmm. is there now. Kamori Gamble from Florida. Of course, Gus Malzahn mm-hmm. from Auburn is the head coach. So, I mean. Auburn should have never let him go. You donors really screwed up there you had the coach hey, they're, they're having fun with go. cadillac right now they're having fun with cadillac. <laughs> that's all that matters they, they got to win 13 to 10 over uh texas a&m this yeah. week so they put the aggies out of uh any bowl contention which is Just hilarious anything. yeah because that's, that's their first time since like what the 80s yeah and it's the first time that the number one recruiting class has not made it to a bowl game <laughs> and who knows how long i don't think that i don't think that's ever happened oh yeah because, pr- absolutely not yeah no. so i don't i don't know what is going on at texas a&m but yeah that's i did want to mention them so that's that's all i'm gonna say about that uh speak speaking of bowls we yeah. do have a team that is was laughable last season for just how incompetent it was but they're going bowling this year UConn won 36 to 33 against Liberty. Uh, not going to go too in depth here, but hey, the Huskies are bowling. Yeah, this is great to hear. I mean, we've seen just so many different team resurrections this year: Kansas, UConn, Tulane, Arizona, just to name a few. There's Duke. been yeah, Duke too. There's been so many teams that have been traditionally just abysmal, and they've started to look good. This. I think the NIL is proving to be, and the new transfer portal rules are proving to be a really, really good thing for college football, which I, I would have never thunk it, and I was, I was totally wrong about it. It's been great for the sport, 
Yeah, I, I, I've absolutely loved it. It does seem like it's creating a lot of balance across the country, which there really should be. I mean, with all this talent, it's wrong for Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State to be able to soak up all of the talent that's out there. I mean, and those guys will just get stuck on the bench and won't even get opportunities to play. So with the transfer portal and guys able to go someplace else where they can make a lot of money, it is fantastic, and, and I absolutely love it. Good for UConn. They seem to have a good home crowd that showed up uh, almost as, I mean, pretty much as good as what UCLA and USC gets. So uh, that was great for them to get a huge win over Liberty. Absolutely. So that is going to do it for our week 11 segment. Let's look into our next segment. We're going to do some predictions here for the coach of the year. So we'll just go around, give our guy that we think is coach of the year. Dom, we'll start with you. It's definitely Josh Heifel. I mean, there's no question for me. And uh, Josh has just done such an incredible job with this team. He He's really changed the landscape of college football in a lot of ways, just with how he's been able to turn this group of, you know, this group of guys. He's, I cannot say enough about our team because two years ago, lost a million players, team had no identity. Josh Heupel comes in, all of a sudden, the school's having fun again. He's changed the culture completely. Because prior to Josh Heupel, Tennessee was just not having any fun. It seemed so miserable to play football at the school. All of a sudden, Josh Heupel's in. This new offense is taking over the country. And it in two years, it's unheard of. And it's beautiful. It's unreal. I can't say enough positive things about the guy. I love you, Josh Heupel. Please stay here forever. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to roll with... Oh, God. It, it's such a tough choice because there's so many great coaches but you know the fact that UConn is going bowling I just never thought I'd even be saying that again I thought they would shut down their football program before they'd go bowling again so I gotta say Jim Mora is is the coach of the year I mean to take UConn uh to at the bare minimum a 500 record I don't think people realize just how impressive that is when they were so bad I mean 0 and 12 1 and 11 type bad uh, pretty much almost every single year. And and they seriously considered, when COVID came around, they seriously considered shutting the whole football program down completely. And the fans pleaded with them and begged them not to, so they didn't. And they get Jim, Jim Mora in, and now they're going to a bowl game. So I got to say he's the coach of the year. Okay, so I was kind of going back and forth between a couple. But, Devin, I'm going to say something very similar to what you got. Lance Leipold. Oh, yes. We've been yeah. talking about this yep. guy all year long. He obviously had that win against Texas last year that everyone went crazy over. Now he's going bowling with a program that has not been bowling since 2008. Yeah, 2008. So, it. I mean, the, what he's been able to accomplish there in such a short period of time is nothing short of unbelievable because, you know, that they've been – uh, I mean, they've been the Vanderbilt of the Big 12 for mm-hmm. who knows how long now. I mean, they, they're they just that one win that you have that you look at on your schedule like, okay, that's a given. Not, that's not the case anymore. Not the case anymore at all. Uh, so I'm definitely going to have to go with Lance Leipold. The other one, if you guys were wondering, it was going to be Brian Kelly because oh, what yeah. he's been able to do at LSU in one year, I mean, it, it really all, all it took was an attitude change for this team because mm-hmm. the talent was always there with LSU. They just... You know, they just weren't motivated. But without a doubt, Lance Leipold has got to be mine. Okay, let's move over to the Week 12 predictions now. 
not as many marquee matchups this week. I mean, we, we're still waiting on the rankings to come out. Those will be out here in about two hours. Uh, we got the Champions Classic going on on ESPN. It'll air between the two. So, again, we will encourage you guys to check those out on your own. Uh, but first, let's jump into the game day game, which is something we don't see all the time. Montana at Montana State. This is just the second time that college game day has been to two FCS schools in one year, the first time since 2014. The Brawl of the Wild, the Big Sky Conference. It's in the treasure state. Montana's finally getting some love. And shout out to my boys who go to Montana State. I got a good few. And it's actually really funny. I was talking to my buddy Abram, and he was sending me tweets from what I thought, we both thought were delusional Montana State fans that were thinking game day would go to the Brawl of the Wild this year. Then all of a sudden UCLA loses and oh my god they're going they're going to Bozeman. <laughs> and this is it, it's just I I love this personally because this is such a huge huge rivalry in Montana. Montana doesn't have any FBS schools, so they really really show out for these teams and Montana used to be a perennial powerhouse and now Montana State is the team who has been good as of late. So this will be a cool game to watch and just cool experience, except for if you're one of the kids who goes there and you're waiting outside to get into mm -hmm. game day in five-degree weather. Yikes. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's just how some of these states are, though, really. Uh, that's why I love living in the South, personally, one of the many reasons. But, uh, no, but, yeah, this is such a great rivalry, and these two teams are incredible teams, as you just said, Dom. I mean, th these are no slouch teams in the FCS at all. I mean, Montana State, uh, they went to the FCS National Championship last year and, uh, of course, lost to North Dakota State, of course, uh, the powerhouse there. But still, they were in the championship. They, they were there. Uh, they made a great playoff run. They've got the Bobcats have a really, really good team. And what I remember, they had great, great defenses. So we'll see what Montana can do to try to break past Montana State's uh, an incredible uh, front seven. Yeah, I'm very interested to see how this plays out because obviously it's not every day that game day goes to an FCS school. I think it's going to be a very fun matchup to uh, watch because I can remember when Montana was a team that would go to the FCS championship a lot of times. I think Tennessee actually played them back in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, should be a pretty fun matchup. It's not something you see every day. So, yeah, that'll be a fun matchup for sure. Uh, Let's go Bobcats. <laughs> yep. All right. We'll, 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 we'll go for the Bobcats here. Uh, moving on to the Big Ten now. Illinois at Michigan. Uh, the Wolverines won last week 34-3 to over Nebraska. We talked about what happened to Illinois last week, of course, losing to Purdue. And Michigan has not lost to the Illini since 2009. Uh, have they got a shot here at all? No way. Michigan takes this one pretty easily. I think Michigan is coasting yet again to the inevitable fate of the deciding game and Illinois has just they've seemed to spin out a little bit here and it's largely due to their schedule getting tougher they've been a good team but when the schedule gets tough they have been less of a good team so I don't think they're going to be able to play to the level of Michigan I don't think Illinois has been good against good opponents yeah, well, this is a incredible running back battle that we've got here. I mean, two of the top five running backs in the country with Blake Corum on Michigan, Chase Brown on the other side. Uh, but unfortunately for Chase Brown, I mean, he's running up against uh, a Michigan defense that 
a lot of people really thought was going to take a massive step back after all the starters they lost. Same thing we heard with Georgia, of course, too. Georgia and Michigan, oh, but they can't repeat as, as the best defense in the country again. Well, lo and behold, Michigan is once again one of the top-ranked defenses, if not the top-ranked defense in the whole country. And, and Michigan's offensive line is really incredible, too. So, yeah, I think Wolverines win dominant fashion. Yeah, I'm on the same page as you guys here, obviously. I don't. After what I've seen the last couple of weeks with Illinois, of course, losing to Purdue at home and then Michigan State at home as well, that was a Michigan State team that looked broken after they played Michigan. So I've got to go with Michigan here. I think Blake Corum is going to have another great day, uh, maybe even gets taken out of the game early and lets Donovan Edwards go for another 100 yards. Who knows? Uh, over to the ACC now. Syracuse at Wake Forest. Uh, the Orange were just annihilated by number 23 Florida State last week 38 to 3 the Deeks have won the last two over the Orange uh who wins this game I mean this is kind of a game that is pretty much to kind of keep the momentum going who keeps their momentum going after this game I think this is a really fun quarterback battle between Schrader and um Sam Hartman so I think this game will be really entertaining to watch it it's also very important for both these teams because they were both ranked pretty highly for a second, and then since being ranked highly, they've both kind of f- fallen off really hard. So this is really important to get back on track. With it being at Wake Forest, even though their home crowd is not notoriously loud or anything, I just think it's going to be hard for Syracuse to retain any momentum after being beat so badly by Florida State. I think that Wake Forest is just going to be able to make uh, fewer mistakes and be able to get away with this one. Oh yeah, I think I think Wake Forest uh, honestly wins this one by a pretty good margin. I, I've not been uh, impressed by what Syracuse is doing. Yeah, they've got Schrader. Yeah, they've got Sean Tucker. So they'll probably put up decent stats on the ground. But really, Wake Forest. Uh, run defense hasn't been too terrible. It's their pass defense that's really bad, and I just don't think Syracuse is going to be able to exploit Wake Forest's weaknesses like Wake Forest can with Syracuse, so I got to go with the Deacons to win their third straight. It's like, who doesn't play the most miserably out of the two quarterbacks? Like, who's not going to turn the ball over here Mm -hmm. for me? Um, But that being said, I like Wake Forest, though I think Sam Hartman's a little bit more naturally gifted than Garrett Schrader is just with arm talent and everything. He's got, I think, better options to throw to than what uh, Garrett Schrader yeah, has got. Yeah, AT Perry as well. is is legit. AT Perry's good. They got a couple other guys too. I mean, Donovan Green, uh-huh. Taylor Moran's a good one too. So it's not like you know he's just got one option like Garrett Schrader has and Ronde Gadsden and a good running back out of the backfield. So I like Wake Forest to get this one done. Uh, over to the Big 12, TCU at Baylor. Frogs are on the road once again this week. They've won the last two against Baylor. Uh, and then Baylor, last week, they got demolished at home by Kansas State, 31-3. to uh, Deuce Vaughn went off in this game, as we would expect. Uh, will TCU's defensive performance in Austin translate to Waco, do we think? I, I think that it will. However, I think that Baylor... It, I think they're a team that's going to play to the occasion. I feel like this has upset written all over it in a way, just with Baylor coming off a bad loss. They're coming back home. They're going to want to show out for their crowd. Uh, I I don't know if this is Baylor's last home game, but it very well could be. So it might be their senior night, and that would make things even louder in Waco. 
I think that Baylor has an upset potential in them. I just think that TCU finds a way to win. And so I think TCU is going to find another way to win here and escape with one. Yeah, I mean, this absolutely is like trap game, uh, you know, rivalry game. TCU's on the road. They got the conference championship on the horizon. They maybe have the college football playoff on the, on the horizon. And now they got to go take on their arch rival, Baylor. Uh, you know what? I, I don't think that bodes too well for the Horned Frog. So I'm going to go a little crazy here. and I'm going to say the Baylor Bears get the huge upset and take TCU out of the playoff picture. As much as I've loved TCU all season, I just see this as trap written all over it. Well, that's a pretty fun pick, I would say. Definitely would help out Tennessee if that mm-hmm. were to happen. Uh, I'm going to have to go with TCU here. I just don't think Baylor has got the pieces offensively. I mean, I've been saying it all year. I don't think they have the pieces offensively to stay with a team like TCU. I think TCU's just got a little bit more there. And if they can do what they did last week against Texas, limit uh, all of the skill players on Baylor's offense to just like single digit yardage or something, something ridiculous like that. I think TCU can win this game pretty nicely, potentially. I mean, it, it could be ugly again, but I think TCU can come out of Waco with a win no matter what. Uh, next game up in the Big 12, Texas at Kansas. Uh, Jayhawks did not have a good week last week. They lost 43 to 28 in Lubbock, but. This was a significant game last year because Kansas got that lone FBS win over Texas in Austin. Are the Longhorns looking to get revenge after what happened in Austin last year? They are definitely out for blood and looking for revenge. However, I think Leipold's got their number. I think I think that this is just one of those weird matchups where a coach just knows how the other team plays and he knows how to beat them. I think Leipold knows the key to beating Texas, and it's in Lawrence, Kansas. You, I I just love this Kansas team too much to go against them, and Texas football has done me so wrong lately that I, I have to go with Kansas. Yeah, I, I absolutely have to go with Kansas here too, uh, and, and it's really just legitimately what I think. I just think Kansas at the moment is just slightly better than Texas. I think it's very close. Don't get me wrong. I think this is a very close game, but I think Kansas finds a way to beat Texas here for the second year in a row. You know, we keep talking about how disappointing Texas is every year. You know, we thought they were going to be something special after they uh, came close to beating Alabama earlier in the year, but down the stretch they have been very disappointing. I think they're going to continue to be disappointing. I'm going to take Kansas to win this game because I think Kansas is capable of outrunning them. I think Devin Neal is a very spectacular running back. Uh, You know, sure, Jason Bean will get the job done for him. So, yeah, I like Kansas to get this one done. Uh, one last game in the Big 12 for you. This this one just feels weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bedlam is this week. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Uh, the Sooners, they fell last week to West Virginia 23-20. to Meanwhile, the Pokes, they survived at home against Iowa State 20-14. to This There's just nothing going on with this game at all, which is so weird because you would usually think when you think Bedlam, okay, one of these teams is going to the Big 12 championship. No. That, that's probably not going to happen this year. That's the wild thing. Yeah, usually this is a really special game, and this year it's it's been a disappointing season for both these teams. I mean, Oklahoma State had some serious playoff hopes for a second, a split second, and then just like that it's gone, which seems to be a recurring theme with Oklahoma State. They just hmm. they can't get over that hump for whatever reason. I don't know if they're cursed or what, but with Bedlam, uh, Oklahoma leads the series all-time 
90 to 19. That is one of the most lopsided series I have ever seen in my entire life. The first time these teams met in 1904, Oklahoma beat, at the time, Oklahoma A&M 75 to 0. I think the trend of Sooner dominance just continues with this one. I think that this is just one of those games where it does not matter what Oklahoma team you are fielding. They are going to come out to play, and they will win this one. Well, I mean, what I can say from this game last year, I mean, I remember that was such an epic game. You know, I thought for sure both these teams would have much better seasons. I thought this was going to be one of the best matchups of the whole season. And, and yeah, it, it's not. But I still think Oklahoma State is going to win this game. I think the Cowboys come in. I think they've got the better quarterback if he plays well. I think they have the better defense. I think for sure they've got the better coach at the moment too. So i got to roll with the Cowboys to win this one. You know, I think it's just totally dependent on whether or not Spencer Sanders plays here because I think mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel alone could get the job done for this Oklahoma team because, you know, I mean, they, there hasn't been a whole lot of just great play out of these backups that we've seen from Oklahoma State, and I think Oklahoma could potentially win it in a high-scoring affair. But that being said, if since Spencer Sanders plays, I think Oklahoma State can run away with this one. So... I'm going to be kind of conditional here, so yeah, that's that's my pick for the game. It, it's just going to come down to whether or not Spencer Sanders plays. Well, do do you think he plays? I don't know. It just depends on the injury status. That's okay. <laughs> that's it for me. I'm just I'm just going to assume that he is. If so he plays, I'm saying if he Oklahoma plays, State. Oklahoma State is winning. That's that's just the absolute truth. Uh, over to the Big Twelve, we got a couple ranked matchups here: Utah at Oregon. The Utes won forty-two to seven last week over Stanford. Uh, can Oregon shake off what happened last week or last year rather against a Utah team that they lost to twice last season, both in the regular season and in the Pac-12 championship? This is a really intriguing matchup for a lot of reasons. The Pac-12 has this has become one of the marquee matchups of the Pac-12 and the most important matchup in the Pac-12 for a while now. Utah and Oregon have both put together really good football programs in the past couple of years, and the traditional powerhouses have just been out of sorts for a while with USC and UCLA not really being any good. Now all of a sudden they're good again. <clears throat> but this matchup, it's it's in Eugene again. And we were in Eugene last weekend. Not us, but uh, the game against Washington was in Eugene and the Ducks fell. I don't think they're going to lose in Autzen Stadium twice in a row. I don't think that's what this Oregon team is about. I think Lanning's got this under control. I think Bo Nix is going to play. I th- I think he's going to play out of his mind. I think he's going to have a really good game. I think Oregon gets away with this one. You know what? I'm actually going to go with Utah to win this game. I think this is where Oregon might start to unravel a little bit. Utah's been coming on really strong, and just the way that they dominated Oregon last season, I'm just not seeing the swing in terms of points. I mean, that was really bad for the Ducks. Uh, obviously, the circumstances that surround it you know, add context, but I still think this Utah team is just a team that matches up, especially defensively, really well against Oregon's offense. So I got to roll with the Utes to get pressure against that great Oregon offensive line that got banged up against Washington. That's the big concern. Forget Nix's injury. The Oregon offensive line, Forsyth, was getting banged up and he's one of the top centers in the country so I like the Utes to bring the pressure and and get to whoever's at quarterback 
I am going to go with the Ducks in this one because we talked about it earlier in the show when we were talking about that Kentucky and Vandy game. But at that point in the season, Oregon was really playing unmotivated football last year when they lost to Utah twice. Now, of course, going to Utah, that's always tough. But at a neutral site, you would think they'd be a little bit more competent than what they were last year. Uh, and then, of course, after last week, you know, they ought to have some motivation because they're still they're still going to be a team that is in consideration for the Pac-12 title game. So I like Oregon to win because they have been pretty stout in Eugene for the most part this year outside of what happened last week. So I have got to go with the Ducks. All right, going south just a little bit in the Pac-12, the Crosstown Cup, USC and UCLA playing in the Rose Bowl and what is jokingly a sellout, even though there are 90,000 seats in the Rose Bowl, only 70,000 of them are being used and 20,000 are being tarped. Uh, that's, that's just what they're doing. It's really weird. Uh, but yeah, USC won last week against Colorado 55-17 to on Friday, just no mercy at all. Of course, UCLA won last year in this matchup. Can USC avenge what happened last year? I think that USC will win this one. I think that the advantage that UCLA would have is I think this UCLA this UCLA team this year has shown that they have a lot of heart, but that's seemingly gone away a little bit as the year's gone on. They've seemed to have lost their momentum and that sort of energy they had for a while. I think USC is just they've won this rivalry rivalry a lot more than UCLA has. I think USC is looking to make a statement that they're back in control. I think Lincoln Riley gets it done. I don't know. I mean, USC, they lose their star running back, Travis Dye, for the whole season, which is really unfortunate because he is one of of the most incredible uh, college running backs there is in the game today. Uh, so that's that's really going to be tough. They have the guys to replace him. I mean, Austin Jones is good, and and obviously Caleb Williams is so incredible and the weapons he's had. But I feel like USC's had a lot of injuries, and and UCLA they want to prove that they're still here, even despite the losses, despite the loss to Arizona. Excuse me. I think they get their heads right here, and I think UCLA beats USC here and and wins it for the second year in a row. Yeah, Devin, I'm actually going to have to go with you on this one. I actually like US, UCLA for some reason because, you know, I, I think both of these coaches could take or leave the idea of actually playing defense. And, yes. you know, of course, when they played at Utah, uh, of course, that was more of a road game than this will be. But they, it's not like Utah is just amazing offensively. I mean, they're good, but they're not like what you would think of with – all the weapons that they have at USC. So, and with Utah, or excuse me, all the U names in the Pac-12 are running <laughs> together right now. Uh, with all of the UCLA weapons, guys like Charbonnet, Jake Bobo, uh, DTR, I think that's just going to be a little bit too much for them. Uh, so I like UCLA to get this one done and USC to be upset once again with the state of their program. Okay, over to the SEC now. And this is... The, the second to last week of the season is always just a really weird week for the SEC. You usually get like two to four conference games and just a bunch of crappy non-conference games of just group of five opponents. So uh, really just only a couple of great matchups here this week, if you'd even call them great. Uh, first of all, Ole Miss at Arkansas. 
The Rebels won this one last year, 53-52 to in Oxford, thanks to a missed two-point conversion. Is Ole Miss going to suffer from any kind of Bama hangover because of how close they played them? I don't think so. I think Ole Miss is going to be able to get away with this one pretty easily. Arkansas has looked so disappointing all season, except for them in that game against LSU. And I that was a little bit special circumstance because of the snow, perhaps. But Ole Miss, I think that ground game is just really hard to beat with Judkins. And I think that they're going to be able to just pound it straight through Arkansas's defense. I don't think that Arkansas's defensive line is going to be able to stop that team at all. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just feel like Arkansas is going to win this game. I mean, Ole Miss, yeah, their their ground game is incredible. Uh, but, you know, an Arkansas's rush defense at times has really looked weak. But really for Arkansas, it's their secondary is, is really the huge weakness. And Ole Miss definitely has the weapons. Jackson Dart is a very good quarterback. But I feel like Arkansas is going to find a way to shut down Ole Miss's top tier run game and is going to win a close def- defensive battle at home. Yeah, this is a tricky one for me as well. I mean, I've definitely been going back and forth on Arkansas and, you know, maybe Ole Miss winning this game. But it's going to depend a lot on whether or not KJ Jefferson plays because he has been in and out all season long just dealing with injuries. Uh, and, you know, it, it doesn't feel like this team is super three-dimensional through the air. Uh, and then Ole Miss, on the other hand, if if they can pound the football, they can throw it decently too. I mean, Malik Heath, Jonathan Mingo, those two dudes can go for over 100 yards pretty easily for Ole Miss. So we've talked about some of the struggles this year for Arkansas in the secondary. With that being said, I'm going to have to go with Ole Miss here just because I don't know if Arkansas is really going to have – the right answers defensively that they should have in this game. So give me the Rebels. Uh, last up, Tennessee at South Carolina. Uh, the Gamecocks were just miserable at Florida. They lost 38-6. to The one play that they scored on was a fake punt touchdown. And, you know, it's, it's usually a little bit tougher at Williams-Brice Stadium at night. Uh, and Tennessee is going for four in a row here. And guys, we just found an we just found out an hour ago that there will be orange helmets in this game for Tennessee. That is something we have not seen in a long time, at least not in colored photography that I can remember. Yeah, this it, it's really cool to be able to see the orange helmets. I love the fact that this current athletic program is actually taking steps to you know, make make this program exciting because I know a lot of people, especially in the South, they love their traditions. And, I mean, you see at places like Bama, they refuse to do anything with their uniforms. I love that these guys are having fun. They're doing stuff with their uniforms. It's really cool. And all of them have been knocked out of the park. They've been incredible. But with this game, I think Tennessee is the type of team to make a mistake once and never make it again. We made the mistake of not really be, being ready for a tough road environment against Georgia. I don't think we're going to do that again, and this South Carolina team is just not good enough. I think Tennessee wins this one in comfortable fashion. I think this is the game that helps assuage our fears that this team is not great on the road. I think they'll prove that they are very well capable of being a great team on the road in a tough environment. Yeah, you know, before the season started and and back when, you know, my expectations for Tennessee were much lower um, you know, I thought this was going to be an incredible game. I thought it was going to be a game that Tennessee would win, but it would be like, you know, maybe by a field goal, maybe by a last-second touchdown, because going on the road against South Carolina, I mean, that's it's not supposed to be too easy. Well, 
based on how last week's gone and based on how South Carolina's season has gone lately, I don't think this is close at all. I think Tennessee dominates here. Uh, that's just my honest opinion. I'm not even I'm not even biased in saying that. I think that just legitimately is the truth here. So even if I wasn't a Tennessee fan, I'd still pick that. Yeah, again, I'm on the same page as you guys here. Uh, Tennessee just there's just so it's it's just a much more dangerous offense than what you see with South Carolina. Spencer Rattler is just continuing to be a disappointment. Mm. That toxic environment that he moved away from in Oklahoma, well. It didn't really help him out very much. At least it hasn't appeared to this season. And you also got to think, Mizzou went in there and won by 13. Yeah. Tennessee just <laughs> yeah. knocked Mizzou out of the park. And yep. Florida, and, I mean, yeah, just, oh, my goodness. That, and, and you got to know, Tennessee, they have to think just Michael Myers the whole rest of the season. I mean, that's what they got to do. That's what they got to <laughs> do to prove to the playoff committee that they are a playoff team. So, I feel like Tennessee will come out in this game just incredibly motivated, and I think they will get this one done pretty handily because if they don't, then the committee is going to be like, hey, you should have done your job at South Carolina. We're not letting you in. So, How many Joe Milton touchdowns do we think we'll see in this game, though? Well, I, I don't know about that. We won't, <laughs> we won't get into those numbers because then we're assuming that we're doing too well. But, uh, yeah, that's my pick. i got to go with Tennessee. Uh, that is going to do it for us today on Neyland's Basement. For Devin Hoke, Dominic Throngard, I am Tucker Harlan. We will see you guys next week for Rivalry Week.